This podcast is brought to you by Langley and Benack, a full-service South and Central Texas law firm that delivers the highest quality legal advice coupled with exceptional client service. From our main office in San Antonio, we provide the resources of a national firm while maintaining close ties to the communities in which we practice. To learn more, please visit us at langleybenack.com. That's langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. Today's episode is part four of a seven-part series on managing business risk. This series is hosted by attorneys Dane Patrick and Mark Macias. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Langley and Benack podcast are for information purposes only and should not be considered legal or professional advice for any particular situation. The presentation of this informational content does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website at www.langleybenack.com or call us at 210-736-6600. Yes, we're here today on Series 2, Episode 4 of our podcast. This is Dane Patrick and Mark Macias with Langley and Manac. The last time on our podcast, we talked about how to maintain the protective corporate shield. Today, we're going to talk about what to do if your company is sued and receives a lawsuit. So, Mark, let's talk about that. You do, you've done a lot of insurance defense in your career. So from an insurance standpoint, what is the first thing that a business owner should do if they get served with a lawsuit? Well, the very first thing they should do is not ignore the lawsuit. They shouldn't think that the mere filing of this lawsuit is somehow going to go away by ignoring the lawsuit. Uh, that is going to be nothing but trouble for the company or the person if they choose to take that route. So one of the first things they want to do is to contact their insurance agent and deliver the lawsuit. Uh, that is a legal term of art and it is called tendering. And when a person tenders the lawsuit to the insurance carrier, the insurance carrier then will have an obligation to look into the facts of the case and look at the lawsuit and make a determination about whether the lawsuit is covered or not. If the lawsuit is covered, then the insurance carrier, uh, depending on the policy, will likely have an obligation to defend and indemnify or cover the claim uh, that is being made by the lawsuit. When the insurance carrier makes that determination to defend the lawsuit, they then are obligated to hire an insurance defense attorney to defend the case, make an appearance in the case, and begin the litigation process. What if you think there's a remote chance that there's that there's no coverage? You know, should you still send that lawsuit to your insurance carrier? The short answer to that question, Dane, is absolutely. You never know if an insurance company is going to make the determination that there is coverage for the particular lawsuit. So as a consequence, you always want to deliver the lawsuit to your insurance agent who will then forward it to the insurance company to make that determination. Uh, you and I have been involved in litigation 
over the course of the last 30 years. And in that time, we have all seen examples where a party did not think that there was going to be coverage for an event. But lo and behold, the insurance carrier makes a determination that there is coverage for the, uh, for the particular lawsuit. And so because of that possibility, you always want to deliver the lawsuit to your insurance company. You know, I can think of a recent example where that actually happened in one of my cases where a client was out walking their dog at a dog park and they did not realize that the event that brought about that lawsuit, in other words, a dog bite, resulted in them having insurance coverage and under their homeowner's insurance policy. Well, the clients not knowing this chose to disregard and ignore the lawsuit and that resulted in a default judgment being taken against them. Ultimately, they made the decision to turn it into their insurance company and when they did so, they learned that even though they were not in their home at the time of the incident, the actual lawsuit was a covered event and the insurance company then stepped in to pick up the defense of that case. So that's an example, a real world example of how even if you think that there's no chance that an insurance company is going to pick up the defense of your case, you should always submit it to your auto carrier, your homeowner's carrier, your commercial carrier to allow them to make that determination. And, and in your simple example, Mark, I guess the homeowner thought, I'm nowhere near my home right now. This didn't happen in my home, so how could it possibly be covered, correct? That's absolutely right. And lo and behold, the insurance company made the determination that it was a covered event. Uh, probably, uh, although I was not privy to that decision, but probably because it was a dog that was owned by the homeowner and they were walking their dog at the time that the incident occurred. What about the uh, policyholder that says, you know, I'm thinking about turning this lawsuit over to my carrier, but I really don't want to because I'm afraid that it's going to make my rates go up. Under those circumstances, I would say to that person that the net benefit to turning it into your insurance carrier and allowing them to pick up the defense and indemnity of any lawsuit is far greater than the possibility that your insurance rates are going to go up. You know, ultimately, the decision on whether the insurance rates go up or not is based upon the insurance agent himself or herself making that determination through the use of their uh, insuring requirements and then deciding if, because of that lawsuit, an insurance rate is going to go up or not. But the mere filing of a lawsuit in and of itself does not suggest and does not mandate the fact that your insurance rates are automatically going to go up. There are many, many factors that go into that decision. And so as a consequence, you're always going to want to turn it in because you're going to have the benefit of having what is probably a sizable indemnity amount of insurance defense coverage that could cover this lawsuit and you're also going to have the benefit of having had insurance defense costs. So that is a different element of what is in, covered and encompassed by an insurance policy. And, and I think we should talk about that for a little bit. Um, in the first instance, we, we've talked about indemnity or that's the amount of insurance that is available to cover somebody 
and typically those are known as insurance policy limits. So to pay the claim, in other words. In other words, yes. So that claim, uh, if it is paid by way of a settlement or ultimately a verdict, as long as that amount is within the insurance coverage limits, uh, that claim is covered by the insurance policy limits of that particular insurance policy. And then you were also talking about the defense costs. You're talking about primarily paying your attorney. Correct. And so, as you know, litigation can be very costly. Uh, the cost of, a, of an attorney alone can be exorbitant. The cost of the paralegal fees associated with the work that he or she does on that case can also be costly. Beyond that, you've got the actual cost of defense. And in many cases, the cost of defense includes not only things like court fees and filing fees and things of that nature, but also include additional costs for the cost of a deposition, for example. Um, beyond that, you may also be required as part of the defense of the case to retain experts. And those are typically covered by an insurance policy defense cost as well. So. As we talked about earlier, the, the cost of litigation can be expensive, not just from a potential settlement or verdict standpoint, but beyond that, the, the typical costs associated with defending a case can run into the tens of thousands of dollars, and those costs are absorbed, if you will, by the insurance policy when it takes on the defense and indemnity of a particular case. Yeah, Mark, and I mean, isn't the entire reason that we buy insurance is we're basically putting money away for a rainy day, right? That's absolutely right. And so, I mean, we hope to never have to use an insurance policy, but if we have to use the insurance policy, the good news is, is that we've paid for it by virtue of the premiums that we've paid for that policy. And an insurance policy is an events-based policy. So an insurance policy also typically is issued for a particular period of time. So for example, it'll go from January 1st at midnight 2020 to December 31st of 2020 at 11.59 p.m. Any event that occurs during that policy period will be looked upon by the insurance carrier as uh, something for it to determine whether or not it will provide the insurance defense and defense costs associated with that particular event, whatever event it might be. So Dane, we've talked about the circumstance where you have an event that gives rise to insurance coverage and you have indemnity and defense costs associated with that. What happens if you learn from your insurance carrier that the lawsuit is not a covered event and they will not provide insurance coverage for you? What do you do in that circumstance? Well, of course, Mark, the first thing you want to do is contact your attorney. And sometimes you don't have, you, you're not afforded the luxury to wait around for the carrier to give you a decision. So you should always contact an attorney immediately. And the reason I say that, Mark, is as you well know that once the person being sued, usually the defendant, receives a lawsuit, there becomes a deadline that they have to comply with in answering that lawsuit. The typical deadline will, will be set forth in a citation to which the lawsuit is attached. And typically that citation in Texas will say that the person being sued has a Monday after 20 days to file an answer. And if they don't timely file that answer, then the plaintiff can take a default judgment against the defendant 
which frankly could be for whatever amount of money that the plaintiff asked for, as long as they have some proof to support it. And as you know also, Mark, that sometimes it's tricky just figuring out what that deadline is because of all the different rules that govern the deadline. So you should be safe rather than sorry. Hire an attorney immediately so that that attorney can immediately get an answer on file. One of the things that we routinely see in litigation, Dane, is the example where not only has the lawsuit itself been filed, but there's been discovery that has been attached to the lawsuit. Can you go into, one, what discovery means, and two, what is the importance of having had discovery that is attached to the lawsuit and how it affects a defendant? Well, uh, unfortunately, the, the term discovery doesn't mean all, all of a sudden you, you discover something unique or you find something that uh, is really favorable. Uh, discovery in litigation is, can be a long, drawn-out process, but it is basically the way the parties really require or force the other side to produce information in the other side's possession. So, for example, um, we have what are called written discovery requests in Texas. And these discovery requests typically are uh, comprised of a request for disclosure of information, interrogatories, uh, request for production, and request for admissions. So the request for disclosure and interrogatories are basically questions that the other side gets to ask you. And when it comes to interrogatories, you have to answer these questions under oath. Uh, the request for production, that's a request for production of documents. So it's, it's kind of like a subpoena for documents. And so when you receive that, you have to produce documents that are responsive to those requests, assuming the requests are proper within a certain deadline. And then I also mentioned requests for admissions, and those are the most dangerous requests of all because if you fail to answer those on time, then each question, for example, admit that you caused an accident on such and such date, each question like that, if you don't answer it, it's deemed by the court as admitted, so you literally could lose your case if you don't timely answer requests for admissions. So to follow up what you were asking, and tying those into the lawsuit, um, these written discovery requests can be attached to the lawsuit itself. And when they are, you typically have 50 days from the time that you are served with these requests to answer them. So you need to make sure when you contact your lawyer that you get them everything. You get on the citation, the petition, and any discovery that's attached to that petition. Well, while all of this is going on, and let's assume that the insurance carrier has denied coverage for the event. Is there anything that you can do as a defendant or on behalf of a defendant to question the decision that has been made by the insurance carrier? Sure, because they don't always get it right. And, you know, obviously uh, there may be some incentive for the carrier to want to find a, a way to avoid having to pay the claim if they think they have at least some legitimate grounds to do so. So you don't want to ever take them on their, at their word that there is no coverage. So what I always advise my clients to do is that in addition to retaining, for example, me to, to defend them in a lawsuit, let's also retain another attorney who's coverage counsel and have that attorney take a look at the denial letter from the insurance carrier. And that letter is usually going to be 
detail. This is going to state all of the grounds why the carrier is denying coverage. And then you have your coverage attorney take a look at the letter, take a look at the insurance policy, compare the two, and see if they agree with counsel, uh, with the uh, with the insurance company's decision, which often often comes from uh, <clears throat> an attorney. But and then at that point in time, your coverage attorney can then exchange correspondence with the insurance carrier, and sometimes they may reach an agreement. You know what? There is coverage. Then if not, <clears throat> you have to consider suing your insurance carrier. Uh, to force them to uh, pay the claim. So does the name coverage counsel literally mean somebody who looks at a case to determine whether or not there is coverage from an insurance policy? That's right. Um, they're going to look at the lawsuit, see what the allegations are in a lawsuit, and I think uh, we've discussed in the past the four corners rule, and they'll look and see that within the four corners of this lawsuit, are there any allegations that uh, trigger coverage under your insurance policy? So in a lawsuit, there may be some allegations that are covered, some allegations that are not covered. What typically happens in that circumstance in your experience? Uh, the, what typically happens is defense counsel is going to provide a defense for all of the claims. And then, of course, at the end of the case, it depends on what claims are actually getting paid as to whether or not all of those claims will get paid by the carrier. Now, Dane, have you had any examples in your career where there was an initial determination of no coverage or the client thought that they did not have coverage but ultimately you learned that in fact they did? Well I've had a similar example of that. Um, I've had a, I had a case recently where I had a client get sued for uh, claims involving tortious interference with a contract, misappropriation of trade secrets, uh, and we discussed their insurance policies and the client's first impression was a business said there's no way this is covered let's don't bother putting any of our carriers on notice and I said you know what I, I really think we should put all your carriers on notice because like you mentioned earlier Mark there's two components to a claim one is the actual claim that's being made and the other are the defense costs and in this particular case it was in federal court the defense costs were substantial we put <clears throat> three or four different carriers on notice and we got we got several denials but then we had one carrier who stepped up to the plate and said well we are not going to be able to cover payment of the claim but we can reimburse your client for some defense costs once that case was concluded, the carrier paid a substantial amount of money to our client to reimburse, reimburse them for our attorney fees. So you never know, and it never hurts to ask. All right, Mark, uh, thank you for uh, participating today. This concludes episode four of our podcast, and I'd ask the listeners to stay tuned for our next uh, episode which will address protecting your company through its business contracts. Thank you for joining us today for the Langley and Benack podcast. Please subscribe to get the latest updates. If you would like to meet with one of our attorneys, please contact us through our website, www.langleybenack.com or call us at 210 736-6600.